All right, well, we are in week number four because we started um, on commandment number five. Um, We're in week number four, so that means we're on commandment number three. And um, we are uh, going to look at um, this idea. I want you you to think of one, um, I I just want you to answer one question this morning, and uh, we're going to kind of just take this theme and and hopefully... uh, work our way through it, look at it from different angles. And, and I just want to ask you this, what is in a name for you? What does a name mean to you? Um, I was, I got this actually wrong. One of our, our high schoolers, uh, they sc- not scolded me, but corrected me. Um, but uh, I was remembering this from Romeo and Juliet my, when I was in 11th grade, and it wasn't Romeo that asked this question, it was actually Juliet. And Juliet said, in Romeo and Juliet, she said, what's in a name, right? A rose by any other name still smells just as sweet. And Juliet would have us believe that names are just kind of arbitrary ways of saying who we are, right? But, I mean, what do you think of, what comes to your mind when you think of, or when you hear this, uh, this name, Adolf Hitler, right? What comes to your brain when you hear the word Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden, or, or, you know, even word, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, what comes to your name when you hear the word Mother Teresa or Gandhi? You know, these names, they conjure up feelings and, and maybe experiences. And, and names, <clears throat> they're more than words. And so we're going to look um, at the third commandment. Um, and uh, we're just going to read from Deuteronomy. It's just this one verse we're going to look at. Third, the third commandment, right? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. What's in a name? What does a name mean? Um, Here we know that God has revealed his name. But if you look at the first two commandments and you look at the third one, in the first two he uses a different person, right? He uses first person singular when talking about himself. You shall have no other gods before me, right? You shall not make an image before because I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. But here, what, what, what's the shift? It, shift? it shifts to third person. It's not you shall not use my name. It's what? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What's the subtle shift for? Focus on Lord. I want you to focus on Lord Because here, the Hebrew word translated for Lord is the word Yahweh. And that is a big um, kind of uh, red flags. This should be bolded. This should be highlighted. Yahweh, right? Yahweh God. Now, if you were to really transliterate this, um, it it would basically say, hey, look, um, you're not to misuse uh, God's name, and it's not to take what? Uh, it's not to take any type of empty manner. You know, you shall not take, and if you think of the word take, in the Hebrew it actually means to lift up or to carry. You're not to carry the name, carry the flag, take the name, right? You're not to carry the flag um, in any way that makes uh, God's name empty, right? So if you were to really, you know, you shall not carry the name of Yahweh, your God, in an empty way. The word empty or vain, it means worthless or actually deceitful. 
So when you think of it that way, when you think of, okay, you're not supposed to take up the name of Yahweh in any way that is worthless or deceitful. Now, when you look back, here's, here's what uh, God does during the uh, burning bush. This is 17 chapters before when Moses was just being called to lead his people out of Israel. Um, Moses is, is, says to, to God in the burning bush, well, if you want me to lead your people out of Egypt and they ask me for your name, what are you going to say your name is? God says, I am who I am. Right? I am who I am. Which essentially means um, I am eternally existent. I am eternally self-reliant. I am the living God who exists in the past and in the present and in the future. And I will be with you, Moses, in any situation. I am the living God that will exist with you in any situation. That's how he names himself so that Moses can tell what the people of God this. And as he begins to talk even more, he, he goes even more and he says, uh, say to the Israelites, not just I am, but say the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent you. So whenever anybody called Yahweh or said the word Yahweh, he is the eternal one, right? All right, so that's kind of the Old Testament. Now here's what I want to do. I want to throw a 40-yard pass to the New Testament. Because we don't ever hear the word Yahweh in the New Testament for the name of God. The word that we hear um, is Jesus. And, uh, and because Yahweh's never used, uh, new, the New Testament seems to put the emphasis on the name Jesus, not the name Yahweh. And so Christians are told to pray in the name of Jesus. I baptized little Leonel in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The name of Jesus, right? It's identified in the New Testament, as the name above all names. But when you transliterate the word Jesus, its Aramaic form is Joshua, Yeshua, right? And if you actually took that word apart, it means Yahweh saves. So that's the name of Jesus. That's what the name Jesus means. Yahweh, the name of God, Yahweh saves. So when we say Jesus, that's what we are actually saying. Luke one twenty one says this, Mary, she, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You are to name him Yahweh saves. So when you say Jesus, that's what you are saying. And so when the Bible first talks about God, they don't give him a name, they give him a title. What's the first, what's the first verse in the Bible? In the beginning, God. That's not a name, that's a title. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But somewhere along the line, it moved. And all of a sudden, Abraham got the word Yahweh. In the, this is the New International Dictionary, Dictionary of Old Testament Theology and Exegesis. Here, here is this definition, what it means to name. It says this, Giving the name entails a, entails a certain kind of relationship. It opens the possibility of a certain intimacy in relationship. A relationship without a name inevitably means some distance. Naming the name is necessary for closeness. Naming means true communication, makes true communication and an an encounter possible. So by giving the name God or Yahweh, God becomes what? He becomes accessible. So when you think of the name, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Just implicit in that, and we don't normally think of it when we read the third commandment, but it's important important to understand it. 
It means this, that God revealed his name to you and to me. He revealed his name. Why? His name means so that you can know him. He gave you his name because he wants to know you personally. He wants to make it. Hey, he, he does not want distance. He wants closeness. That's what a name means. And so when you read the third commandment, you can kind of brush past this. You know, it's the difference between knowing a policeman as officer or knowing him as Joe, right? It's the difference between knowing a judge as your honor or knowing her as Kim. It's the difference between knowing the Duchess of Sussex and knowing her as Meghan Markle, right? It's the difference. It's what we felt when, you know, the news reports had all this um, and then, you know, all the pomp and circumstance, and they kind of liked that. But then, then there was like this one uh, reporter that got this picture, and it, I think her name is Camilla. It's Prince Charles's, I guess, new wife. And she was sitting next to, oh, the other prince, his wife, right? She had this big old hat on, right? Right? She had this big old bonnet hat on. And uh, she's sitting there in Westminster Abbey, right? All the pomp and circumstance going on. And you just see this massive hat just turned. And you couldn't see her face. But then you see the one daughter go like this. And they, and they like talked about it for like 15 minutes. And then, you know, they, they kind of had people going like, what is she saying? Is she saying like she's too hot maybe? Or maybe she's hungry. Like maybe she's hungry, right? Or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And you know, you're like, wow, I just spent 12 to 15 minutes, you know, whatever, looking at this weird picture. And I, I did, I, I watched it. I, I'll admit it. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> but, the whole, but the whole point was, you know, they wanted to make the, the big, the pomp and circumstance. They wanted, they were trying to find a way to make it personal. To make it closer than just out there, just titles, right? They, they, were, they were trying to get you in there, get you into the story, get you into the person of, of what's going on. That was part of you know, the, the coverage. They liked it, but they wanted it to be personal. And so when you think about the God of the Bible, when you only think of titles, it's going to represent distance. But titles is not the same thing as a name. And when you start using names, that means closeness. And so when you use the name of God and I use the name of God, it's something different than a title. And the Bible says, hey, that's very, very important because here's how Christianity is different than everything else, every other religion. You can have a relationship, right? You have a God who has a name and you have a name and you can be close with him and there isn't distance. This is not about titles and doing it right. No, no, you can have a personal relationship with God, you know, his name is Yahweh saves Jesus. You can, you can talk to the God. There is closeness. There is intimacy. That's what Christianity offers. That's completely different. So, as a preface, before we read, that, read the third commandment, names are important, man. Names imply intimacy. And so, can we go back to, can we go back to the actual verse? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because name means a lot. Now, here's the thing. When you read the Ten Commandments, when I hear the Ten Commandments talked about, um, they talk about Christianity, and they, and they almost go hand in hand, right? You just, Ten Commandments is Christianity. 
If you're in here this morning and you think that the Ten Commandments is the point of Christianity, it's like, I mean, they go hand in hand. This is what it is. This is what it means. If you go to church, you read the Ten Commandments, and you try to get these things right. That is a lie from the pit of hell, right? That is heresy. Um, It has nothing to do, Christianity has nothing to do with you completing or doing the Ten Commandments. Nothing at all. And this is where we get it off. This is why I'm nervous about preaching the Ten Commandments. Because you might think, this is the point. Let's go through the ten principles of life, and if we'll just start doing those, and that means I can really be a good Christian. And if you think that, then I have failed. Right? We have failed as a church to communicate what Christianity is about. Because, where did Moses go to get the Ten Commandments? Sinai. And I just want to remind us of this. In the Old Testament mind, here's what you had to believe. The Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, comes before Mount Sinai. The grace of being freed from slavery always comes before the law of God. You have to understand grace before you can understand law. If you think it's about the law and the law comes first, you don't get it. I don't get it. We just try to get it right. The Red Sea always comes before Sinai in the story. And so the context for reading the third commandment is, hey, God gave him grace, right? And what do we know? (laughs) What do we know about all these commandments? We break them all the time. I break them. We all break them. And Jesus never broke one. (laughs) Ever. Jesus didn't mess up one time. And the point is, is, is what Jesus has done with the Ten Commandments, not what you are going to do with them. That is the central point of the entire Bible, is that you, couldn't, you could not uh, complete or be successful with the Ten Commandments, and he did. And so if you understand that, then we can read the Third Commandment and say, okay, so now what? Well, now our life is a response to what? To the grace of the Red Sea. Our life on Mount Sinai, reading the Ten Commandments, is simply a response. Because... As God gets to know you, here's what we know. When you're in a relationship, what do you slowly but surely do? Reveal things about yourself. Slowly but surely, when you feel comfortable. Well, point two being this. Here's here's the thing. By revealing his name to you, he took a risk. Showed you more of who he was. God took the risk of his people knowing his name. But they know his name now. It's Yahweh. It's not just Elohim, right? It's not Jehovah Jireh, the provider. It's now it's Yahweh, right? It's Yahweh, God who saves personal God. And you know what? I know people can misuse my name now. People can take, literally take my name in vain. What happens when you reveal something about yourself and somebody takes that, right? And they begin to misuse it. They begin to use it in ways that you never thought ever they would use it, but they do. And this is when we begin to get... um, into the kind of the, uh, the foundation of what I believe the scriptures are teaching about the third commandment, right? Only after God saves us by grace do we actually carry his name. And we do. We carry his name, right? So don't take or carry his name in, in, in ways that you, wouldn't, you, you, don't, you, know, you shouldn't use it, right? You think um, Michael Jordan signed a contract with Nike. And so what does Michael Jordan do? Michael Jordan carries the swoosh with him wherever he goes, right? 
He, he represents, he, he is that, the, 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 Nike, right, the, the Nike corporation. And so the people of the Old Testament carried the name Yahweh, and God placed his name on them like a logo. You are my people now. You have my name. In the New Testament, this idea was the same for Christians in 1 Peter 4.16, where it says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. If you become a follower of Jesus, what do you bear the name of? Jesus saves. Yahweh saves. That's what you have as a logo now. And the question is, is um, how do we misuse that name? How, how have I, how have you misused the name of God? Because when you think about it as Christians, I mean, obviously, um, you can think of it in terms of language and you kind of could lambast any te- television show or any music, you know, any song that's out there or, you know, whatever movie. But I don't want to talk about the world because they don't revere Yahweh. I want to talk about Christians, right? How do we um, profane the name or misuse it? Because if you think about the term profane, profanity is this, to take something holy and make it common. That's what profanity is. Taking something holy and you make it uh, common. And so whenever you use the word God or, or Jesus without thinking or in empty ways, you profane God's name. When, when we use Jesus or God as a punctuation mark, right, in our conversation, we took something holy and we made it common. We used profanity. That, that's what the scriptures say. And so as, as you think about your words or you think about what you carry or what you take, right? One way that we can represent God or misrepresent God, we can misuse his name, take his name in vain. The psalmist says, tells us that the person who loves God will what? Will keep his or her promises even when it's hurt, uh, when it hurts, right? It's easy to keep your promises. It's easy to keep, for me to keep my promises when there's no pain. But hey, when it begins to hurt and it begins to cost you something, keeping your promise, hey, when, when everything inside of you wants to break, it really means something. And so when Jesus talks about the third commandment and he talks about God's name and he says you carry God's name with you, notice in the Sermon on the Mount he says this and he's referring to the third commandment. Hey, uh, when you take an oath, when you actually just talk to other people or to me, Jesus says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because broken promises by a Christian misrepresent God. You, you're carrying the flag and you misrepresent God as a, as a flag bearer of Jesus. Hey, another way we might do it is when we curse, right? When we, when we say, um, when we use the words God, right, and damn in the same sentence. You use that in the same sentence. I mean, like, if you think about that literally, and not in a rage or a terror in the con, but if you just kind of pull yourself out of that, and you think about those two words, and what that means is, we are trying to call a curse down on, what, a person. Whether you realize it or not, if you say God, and then you say damn, you're saying, God, please pull a curse down on who? On this person. And, Luke 6 says, look, the gospel is about the upside-down kingdom. The way up is the way down. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. Bless those, he says, who curse you. Since we bear Christ's name and we live in an age of God's grace, can we communicate God's salvation instead of God's 
damnation. But our words matter. When we bear this, you know, it, it matters. When we say these words. I mean, think about one way that we also can misuse the name of God if we go on a campaign. I mean, historically, you look at, um, and I'm not saying everything was bad, but there was a lot of bad things done during the Crusades in the name of Jesus. Thousands of people were murdered in the name of Jesus that didn't necessarily have to be murdered. When you think about the great Crusades. And we know, we've all seen the name of Jesus used to uh, justify all kinds of behavior. How many times have you seen in the name of Jesus racism happen, right? Or, or hate. I've heard this a number of times. Here's what I hear. I hear things like this. Frank, here's what I know God told me. God told me uh, that I was supposed to leave my wife because God brought me this woman, right? So he brought me this woman, and God did this. And so in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, people leave right their marriages. In God's name, a complete profane use of God's name, a complete misuse of it. Or, hey, you know what, Frank, here's what happened. I'm a man, right, and I'm not leaving um, my wife for another woman. I'm leaving my wife for another man because God told me this is this is right. And you search the scriptures and you can't find anything like that. And you have, to play, you have to play gymnastics with the Bible to make it say what you want it to say. You pull a certain reference out of context or this here and that's happening. I mean, you just go and see the literature coming out right now and the way people are using the Bible to what? To misuse the name of Jesus. He says, please don't profane my name. Don't attach my name to any of this stuff. Don't say my name and then damn. please. Don't do that. So when you think about your life, when I think about my life, how might you be misusing the name of God, right? How might I be misusing the name of God? It's supposed to have some weight, right? When we read these, that should feel weighty in your heart. But I don't want you to think of the third uh, commandment just as in a prohibition way, right? It just prohibits things. I actually want you to think about it in a positive way. Okay, so if we shouldn't use God's name this way, well then, okay, so, so, so what? How, how could we what? Well, um, we honor God's name when we enhance his reputation, right? How can we make God's name, not misuse it, but rather make God more famous? What if that was your uh, mission? I'm going to make God so famous. That's my job, Right? I mean, I'm just going to tell everyone I can about it. Here's one way in which we enhance God's reputation. Psalm 34, 3 says this. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Key word here is being together. So, one way you enhance God's name is what you've done already today, is being in here. When you come together corporately on a Sunday and worship God, you know what God says? You're enhancing my name. You're obeying me. You're honoring my, my name. And uh, hey, um, you're making my name more famous. When you hear the Bible read, when you sing praises, when you take communion, when we baptize, right? You are making the name of Jesus very famous. So we gather together for worship to honor the third commandment. Second thing we can do. You enhance God's reputation through this is um, when you're a witness. Think about it. A witness, what does a witness do? Sits there and tells everybody, tells the whole jury, oh my goodness, this is who Jesus is. 
Let me tell you. Yeah, you're asking me. I'm going to witness. I'm going to witness to what he has done in my life. And when we do that, when we talk about the name of Jesus, the apostle Peter said this in 4.12. He said, salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so when we bear fruit to this, um, to this offer from God, when we reach out, you know, when God saves you and you understand what he saved you from and what you get, eternal life, there's nothing like seeing a new Christian, right? Sometimes I think about it when, um, you know, when you fall in love, right? What happens when you fall in love? What happens when you know, hey, it's the person, right? Mom, dad, I know, hey, pals, I know this is not going to be too manly, but I found the woman of my dreams, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, you call your mom and you say, Mom, I'm, I'm actually doing laundry. I'm, uh, I'm actually, you know, not eating out every single meal. I'm, I'm becoming, I'm looking like a normal human. It's because of this girl, man. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about her. And I think maybe she is the one and we're going to spend the rest of our life together. Maybe we're going to have little kids. I mean, I mean, what happens when you fall in love? You cannot not talk about it. You cannot not witness to what's happening inside of your heart. And so when we understand that, I mean, when, when I see these students um, get it, I mean, all they want to do is talk about the Lord. They want to talk about, hey, I don't know what to do in this situation, right? I don't know how to get out of this temptation, but I know I want to. Why? Because I'm in love with Jesus. I didn't know there could be a personal God. I thought it was God as a title. So I, I saw it. I went to church. I stood up, sit down, whatever. We went through the thing and did what? It was not personal. It was just titles. It meant nothing to me. And then I realized Jesus was personal with me, and he changed my life. I want to witness. I want to take his name, and I want to honor it, and I want to spread it. When that stuff happens, right, we have to talk about those types of relationships, right? We begin to do things that, um, that change the world. I got this um, from a pastor up in, uh, up in Illinois, um, and uh, he was telling me about this um, couple. And uh, the, the, the couple's last name was Joyce, and... Um, Michael Joyce had a memory problem. He was 68 years old, and he had a memory problem. And he had been married to Linda for 38 years, right? And um, Alzheimer's had kind of taken his memory, and it advanced so much that one morning, he woke up, begins to talk with his wife, and he didn't realize that he was married to her, right? Imagine that. Alzheimer's takes away your memory, takes away your understanding of things to the extent that you don't even remember you got married to this person. But he says that Linda talked about uh, that morning he realized he was in love for her. And so you know what he did? He proposed to her. This man who had Alzheimer's was so in love with his wife who he forgot he married. He thought, I want to marry you. We got to get married. This is awesome. What are we doing? Right? And Linda writes this. Um, she, well, she, uh, so he proposed and she said yes. She says, so I said, of course I will, thinking he might not remember. But the next morning, Michael, 68, woke up and he asked her, so when are we doing this? 
Here's how Linda invited her friends and the community to their second wedding. My adored hubby of 38 years suffers from Alzheimer's. Two nights ago, out of the blue, with tear-filled eyes, he asked me to marry him. Michael had clearly forgotten that we were already married, but I absolutely went along with him and said I would be delighted to be his wife. In spite of his confused mind, he obviously knows and feels this is something he really wants to do. To Michael, it will be our wedding ceremony. And to our friends and myself, a truly precious, memorable occasion. So it says, on the wedding morning, Linda Joy said she wasn't so sure he would remember. But he woke up and he told his, he'd be, his betrothed, today's the day. <laughs> the beaming couple, originally from Scotland, exchanged vows at the scenic lake near their home as friends looked on. Linda said there had been a lot of sadness and a lot of frustration. And despite all the fogginess, today has been pure joy. De- uh, Michael was in love. Of course I'm going to talk about her. Of course I want her to marry. I want, I want to marry her. Are you kidding me? This is, this is, my, this is my, the love of my life. This is what, I mean, I, I've been completely changed. And so when we do that, right, when, when we understand God like that, that he's done that for us, It's not about God's damnation. We don't say those things. We say it's all about God's salvation. He has saved me from myself. He saved me from the wrath of of hell, from the wrath of my sin. And so why in the world, right, would I use language? Would I carry this flag and misuse the name of my Savior, right? My Savior who's got a personal name, Jesus. That means he saved me. So where are you this morning? How might you have maybe misused the name of Jesus or not used the name of Jesus enough to honor him and to enhance his fame, to enhance his reputation? We do that. Why? The reason we do it is because of the grace that he's given us and the way that he looks at us. Because as many um, a theologian has said, the most important thought you have is what's the face of God when he thinks of you? What do you think? How do you think? God's face is when he looks at you. Is it a frown? Is it a, you know, a shrug? Or is it just joy? And the gospel is God smiles at you. When he thinks about you, it's pure joy. Let's get married. Though that's a little weird. But hey, I want to be with you. That's the way God thinks about you and me. And that's the gospel story. I mean, when that gets in our soul, I mean, this third commandment thing, Man, it, it, of course I'm going to obey that. Of course I, I want to. I'm not going to just not do the not not do things. I'm going to do things. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to tell people. I'm going to witness to him because of what he's done for me. Please, please make this practical. Please apply this. How could we? How could you um, take this right? Take this third commandment and make it personal this week. Let's pray and ask God to work this into our hearts. Father God, we thank you for these ten commandments. We know that the Bible reads us, and so the Bible reads our heart and knows the name that we need to use to call upon you and in the context with which we use your name. And may we treat it with care, and may we not feel condemned. And at the same time, God, may we not misuse you you or your name. 
um, because you will not be misused. That's what your word says. So we thank you for grace and we thank you for love. Work that inside of us, Father, in your name. Amen.